0: Welcome back to From Bench to Bedside. Uh, Welcome to my first mini episode where I'm not gonna dive into the historical path of a disease, um, but I'm gonna talk about headlines of today. One thing that's really been hitting the airwaves has been um, white lung syndrome. So we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about immunity debt. We're gonna talk about SARS-CoV-2 and other respiratory viruses around the world and the surges that we are now seeing in the winter. So uh, welcome to From Bench to Bedside. My name is Melanie Matthew, Dr. Melanie Matthew. I have a PhD in the field of immunology, and I'm delighted to be your host today. So what is going on with this concept of immunity debt? I first saw it, I first encountered it um, when I was trying to teach people about immunology and vaccines and respiratory viruses online um on social media and I kept seeing people say, Don't wear a mask, it's gonna weaken your immune system. And I was like, what? That's totally insane. That doesn't make any sense. So to me it was kind of just this shadowy conspiracy theory idea. And in a lot of ways it really still is in the way that people are using the terminology immunity debt. So I'll talk about that. But it's wild for me to see people with the letters MD and sometimes even PhD after their names saying things like masks don't stop viruses. Don't bother wearing a mask. You're going to get sick anyway. It does nothing. Masks don't do anything. They're silly. Well, also saying the same people don't wear a mask. It's going to cause your immune system to weaken because you won't be exposed to viruses if you're wearing a mask. So is a mask protective then? is it allowing viruses through? Like you said, it's worthless. It doesn't work. Or is it protecting you from viral infection? It's, it's a very interesting, um, evolution of the way people are trying to communicate around this. And and often these are the people I don't agree with because there is no evidence that lack of viral exposure weakens your immune system. It just doesn't work that way. So we'll talk about that too. So let's um i'm gonna get to what i think may be going on with white lung syndrome at the very very end and hang on with me we're gonna talk about immunity debt so immunity debt is not something you would find in a textbook it's this concept that children were going to get sick more often when they went back to school because they hadn't been recently exposed to pathogens That's not a weakened immune system. They just hadn't recently all been exposed. And all of our pathogen protection, particularly the respiratory viruses, wanes over time. Our antibodies to respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, wane every season. And a lot of seasons, people get reinfected. That timing idea was first floated by a French group. And it was just popularized and grabbed hold of and taking down a road they never intended, so much so they needed to publish again clarifications of what they were actually trying to say. People took the science way out of context, but they went on to say they never affirmed NPIs, so NPIs um, being uh, non-pharmaceutical interventions, things like wearing masks, social distancing, um, et they never said that would weaken your immune response. They, they came out and said, listen, guys, this is not what we're saying. Um, or that lack of exposure to pathogens such as respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, and influenza could irrevocably damage your immune response. This is, yeah, this is all total scare tactic fantasy. Um, they really just said, hey, timing may shift due to sudden new school exposure. That's it. But the problem is what we saw around the world is that not only did timing shift, but severity is shifting. And also kids that never went into lockdown experienced respiratory virus surges that were significantly larger in magnitude during the 2022-2023 respiratory illness season. I'm going to show you some of that data as well. All right. So what do we know? about the immune system. What are some like really well-established facts? Basic fact, not being exposed to a virus does not weaken your immune system. It just doesn't get an education around what that particular pathogen is. But if you've been exposed to it before, you're an adult and you're exposed as a kid, you do have memory immune cells. They exist. Um, what happens with viral transmission if you are immunocompromised? So this is the teaching session. You can find The stuff in textbooks, okay? This is pretty well established. Um, If you're immunocompromised, you are more likely to become sick when you are exposed to a pathogen. If you put someone who is not immunocompromised next to someone who is immunocompromised and give them a very low dose of virus, the non-immunocompromised person is unlikely to get sick, even though the immunocompromised person may get sick, all right? Facts of life, less virus required to make someone who's immunocompromised sick. When someone who's immunocompromised is sick, they will often have a worse course of disease. It is more likely to be medically attended, including doctor visits, hospitals, et cetera. If you are immunocompromised, you are more likely to have a higher viral load. The virus can replicate more easily in your system. And that means you can spread it more easily to other people because there's more virus there. The virus is just not controlled as well. All right. And I'm sorry, I I know immunocompromised people, you must feel like I'm picking on you, but I'm trying to make um, sure that everyone understands what happens when someone is immunocompromised. If a population in general is suffering, a a large group of population is immunocompromised, um, people can become more sick more easily and virus can spread more quickly. It's like having, um, for my researchers and my audience, it's like having an immunocompromised mouse colony. Sickness will spread like wildfire in that mouse colony, whereas a non-immunocompromised mouse colony may not even get sick, right? We know this. Um, so this is now established in your minds, I hope. This is basic kind of immunology 101. Let's talk about RSV and just infection dynamics in general, right? So we know that respiratory virus antibody levels wane. They always do because it doesn't make sense for our immune system to be making lots of antibodies against a pathogen we're not fighting anymore. So I'm going to use, um, uh, let's see, a military analogy. You send the troops in because there's a brand new virus and all the troops are getting rid of the virus. The virus is gone. Yay, you're healthy. Those troops clear out, and they leave behind a couple special forces, guys. Those are your memory immune cells. And when they see that pathogen again, they can call up the troops again and say, hey, get back here. We've got a problem. But if there's no problem there, why would you spend all of your energy and all of your troops to be fighting a virus? That isn't there. So when the pathogen is gone, your immune system's done its job. It establishes memory. This is long-lived memory. It can last for decades in our system. And, um, that's it. Your antibody levels wane. There's no need to keep making them. So this is, um, from clinical microbiology reviews, April 1999. This was published and it's pretty well established, um, but published over two decades ago. Um, even if someone has a production of RSV neutralizing antibodies following an infection that is robust, humoral, that's the antibody level in the sera. Immunity wanes over time, and reinfection during subsequent seasons is common. You still get reinfected, all right? The only difference is now you've got some memory cells, so the infection might not be as severe. Awesome. But you should know that with RSV, most children who get it when they're older have a better course of disease than children who get it when they're younger. So actually, waiting a few years before a child's exposed to RSV May be truly beneficial for them. It is really dangerous for little kids because they have smaller airways. And as a child gets older and their airways enlarge, they can handle the RSV infection a little bit better. It's less likely that their breathing will be significantly compromised during the course of the infection. And this this is really well well known across um, pediatricians. And you know, I'm basically just reciting to you textbook data, and data that is well-published in the CDC. So these little kids going to school for the first time and first time seeing RSV, a lot of kids don't get exposed till they're four or five. And usually that's better for them. So there we are. It's, um shouldn't be that big of a deal, right, to be coming out of lockdown. But I don't know. We're having respiratory virus surges. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Respiratory virus surges were not limited to countries that had just come out of lockdown in the 2022-2023 cold and flu season in the Northern Hemisphere. So population-based data does soundly refute the concept that immunity debt is responsible for those respiratory virus surges, and I'm going to use Sweden as an example, because they really took a very, very different approach to the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Therefore, their data is is very meaningful relative to what happened with other countries where some of the data may be a little more mixed. And I don't want to say anything too negative about the Swedish government. Um, I think everyone was doing the best they could in the pandemic, but they admitted that their very unique approach to the pandemic was a failure. Um, Relative to its three neighboring countries, Finland, Norway, and Denmark, Sweden suffered a significantly higher death rate per capita and a significantly higher infection rate per capita with SARS-CoV-2. Some online reports I've seen said, yes, Sweden sent home some of the kids for some of the time. But when I am talking about um, Science Magazine and University of Gothenburg, Sweden, and their own government saying, no, we never called for lockdowns. Daycares were open. Schools were open. Um, I think we can generally assume that most facilities were open. Social distancing was not being done as much as it was in other places. Uh, schools and daycares were open. And certainly in-person studies and hybrid studies were back in full swing in 2021, early 2021. So even if they were sent home for a little bit, it wasn't for that long. Okay. Uh, All right. So these kids and adults were experienced continued pathogen exposure in their environment. So what happened with influenza in the winter, 2022, 2023, it was much higher cases per population in zero to four-year-olds, five to 14 year olds, 15 to 39 year olds, 40 to 64 year olds, and the 65 plus, it was higher than the prior two years when they hadn't locked down, Um, but it was still lower than their 2017, 2018 influenza season. I'm not sure what was going on in that age group for that influenza season, maybe it was a vaccine mismatch. I'm not sure. Um, And you can see that from 2019 to 2020, there is an increase. So in general, 2021 to 2022 had a higher rate of influenza infection in age groups five and up. Um, Four, zero to four is about the same as their 19 to 2020. Um, And then it went even higher for 2022, 2023. Weird, because they never locked down, right? Um, And then their influenza season started earlier. So I should be showing all these figures on the screen. Um, both for their zero to four years old and their 65 and older. And I'm not like leaving out some graphs on purpose. They just really only show certain populations. Um, but yeah, influenza infections much earlier than prior flu seasons and significantly higher in these groups. And then uh, last but not least, how many people are admitted to the ICU for influenza during the 2022-2023 cold and flu season? Um, it was higher. It was significantly higher than prior years and it started much earlier. Okay, so bad respiratory virus infection season, just like we saw in our triple demic here in the United States for influenza in Sweden, even though they never locked down. Now let's look at our speech. And I apologize, if the figure legends are in Swedish. The only data I could get from them was through this PDF on the Swedish government website, and it was not translated into English. I couldn't figure out how to do it. Uh, But in general, you can see the same trend. RSV infection rates are higher, much higher for the 2022-2023 flu season, and um, they were peaking earlier for 65 years old as well as the 0 to 4 years old. So. I think that was that was really interesting. But let's just take a quick gander at what was going on in the rest of Europe at this time. Um, the rest of Europe has an RSV surveillance system where you can look at cumulative numbers from all different countries, and they have a couple numbers I want you to look at here. Um, first week of RSV test positivity. So how early? Are they first seeing RSV test positivity that goes above 3%? And then what is the median country positivity percent of the reporting countries? First of all, you can see that the cold and flu seasons across Europe, 2021, 2022, 2022, 2023, started significantly earlier. Their first week of the year where they had an above 3% positivity rate, came earlier after the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, um, or I guess that was technically during it. Um, But, you know, after 2020, 2021, when they were mostly locked down, showed up earlier. So earlier RSV infection. Now, the next thing I want to talk to you guys about is what starts to show up in a population that is immunocompromised are kind of opportunistic infections. Infections with things that are around us in our daily life all the time. We may be exposed to them, but we may not develop disease. One of these is called mucomycorsis. And during the Delta wave, um, just coinciding with it, tens of thousands of cases of this started to get reported in India and cases started to get reported around the world, including the United States. And normally it's very, very rare, one in a million or fewer. Um, But there were true outbreaks being seen um, alongside of the SARS-CoV-2 Delta wave. So that's what I'm going to focus on here. And this black mold, this mucomycorsis disease, it comes from um, pathogens that are all around us in our environment. If you go out and you are raking up leaf litter or digging in soil you are all around this stuff and um most of us just don't get infected right so you can't claim that people weren't being exposed to this Um, but let's let's talk about what happened in arkansas and the united states there were 10 reported cases of covid-19 associated mucomycorsis that occurred in a 79 day period from july to september On July 12th to September 28th in 2021, this coincided with the statewide outbreak of SARS-CoV-2, the Delta variant, um, just like what they saw in India. Um, And what happened happened was 10 of these people got very, very sick. All of them had recently had SARS-CoV-2 and had been hospitalized for it. So one of those 10 was an organ recipient, so he was on immunosuppressive medication, and a few of them were diabetic, so they already had some immune system dysfunction, but none of them were vaccinated. Not one of those people, six of them died from this infection. Um, They were not able to save them. So when people start dying of disease caused by pathogens that don't normally impact you, um, you start to ask the question of what's going on, right? And they were able to trace this back to recent SARS-CoV-2 infection leading to people being moderately immunocompromised or severely immunocompromised. All right, let us talk about now the research that is starting to mount around SARS-CoV-2 causing people to be immunocompromised. So I'm just gonna summarize a little bit of it here. There are a lot of links in my sub stack and um, a lot of links on my link tree even more supporting this so let's just go through some of the ways sars cov 2 impacts your immune system first reduce t cell counts i first read about this in 2020 and i really was surprised by it and a little worried and i was like oh gosh we need more data data has been rolling it this is pretty consistent across the board two There are higher numbers of T cells that have exhaustion markers expressed on their surface. And when I teach people about this, I kind of say it's like putting a do not disturb sign on your hotel room door. No one's coming in. You can't be bothered. These T cells are tired. They're done. If someone calls the troops in and says, hey, we need you. They're going to say, no, I'm sick. I can't. I can't do it. They're not going to get activated in the same way they normally would and um, as people age, they get an accumulation of exhausted T-cells. Three, there's a reduction in the number of cells that are producing a cytokine called interferon gamma. Interferon gamma is a cytokine that plays a critical role in fighting off viral infections. So in people who've had severe SARS-CoV-2 infection, there are fewer of a cell type called plasmacytoid dendritic cells, which are one of the major producers of interferon gamma, and these people simply have less interferon gamma. SARS-CoV-2 infection may induce your body to create autoantibodies against cytokines. So this would be an antibody that would neutralize the activity of a cytokine in your system. Again, interferon gamma is used as the example because if you knock out that activity, you reduce your ability to fight off a viral infection. Five, autoreactive B cells may develop post-SARS-CoV-2 infection. This is problematic because autoreactive B cells produce antibodies that bind and target your own cell proteins. And in one of the studies I read about this, they compared the number of autoreactive self-antigen recognizing B cells, post SARS-CoV-2 infection versus influenza infection. These do start to show up when you have major inflammatory events, significantly higher in the COVID-infected people. If you have autoantibodies, it does not necessarily mean you have autoimmune disease, but it is a hallmark of autoimmune disease. So We can develop autoantibodies once in a while, they go away, your immune system controls them, but they all are usually a hallmark of autoimmune disease development. All right, changes in innate immune responses. So This one is interesting. So I've been mostly talking about your adaptive immune response, your B-cells, your T-cells. They're recognizing that pathogen specifically. They've got that wanted poster. They know what he looks like. Your innate immune system is something that shows up to allow for a general blanket response. Hey, there's been some damage. We recognize a basic ancient signature that says, hey, it might be bacteria. It's probably virus. Let's just send the troops out. Let's send in the reinforcements. We don't even need to know what it looks like. We just know something's there. We're going to surround the area. We're going to shut it down. We're going to maybe take out some of these bacterial or parasitic or viral pathogens in the meantime. So your innate immune response is one of the first and earliest responses. Um, but it also continues to play an important role throughout viral infection where it can identify virally infected cells doesn't need to even know which virus it is infecting that cell and it'll take it out. So all of these systems are disrupted post SARS-CoV-2 infection in a lot of people. We don't know how long this immunosuppression goes on or how long these systems are are disrupted in general for people. Um, In studies I've read, they've shown anywhere from three months to 18 months, a lot of people starting to recover around the three month mark. Some people though, just seem to not recover for a very long time. We don't know why that is just yet. Now I'm gonna talk about my least favorite part of this, um, but I cannot avoid it as an immunologist. I think it would be disingenuous not to chat with you guys about it. All of those elements of immune system dysregulation, dysfunction I just described, um, can have other consequences beyond issues Fighting off respiratory viruses. Our immune system doesn't just kill pathogens. It eliminates things like cancer cells, and it can keep viruses that are latent or hibernating inside of us at bay. They can kind of tamp down that virus's ability to replicate and become active again. People who are highly immunocompromised have increased rates of aggressive cancer across all age groups. So when your immune system is not functioning well, it is more likely that you may develop cancer. That is just a very, very sad fact. But looking at months to to over a year of some people being immunocompromised, post SARS-CoV-2 infection, this does start to worry me a little bit. Uh, Two kind of major viruses that are latent in a lot of people's systems, um, I was, I was too old to get the chickenpox vaccine. I'd already had it, uh, but herpes zoster is, is in a lot of us. If you've had chickenpox, you have latent herpes zoster in your nervous system, and it can reemerge if you have a immune system dysregulation. So a retrospective study in 2022 looked at about 400,000 people over the age of 50 and compared those who had contracted COVID and those who hadn't. And those who had contracted COVID had a significantly higher rate of developing shingles. So their immune system, something happened to them, likely because of the SARS-CoV-2 viral infection, and they were no longer able to control that herpes zoster, and shingles reemerged. All right, the other one, Epstein-Barr virus recently linked development of multiple sclerosis and has long been linked to the development of B-cell lymphomas. Um, Epstein-Barr virus resurgence and reactivation has been seen and documented in people with severe illness, severe SARS-CoV-2 infection, or long COVID. And last but not least, you know, our immune systems live in this fine tuned balance and throwing off the system... um, can potentially lead to development of autoimmune disease. Um, a very recently published cohort study that looked at 3.8 million people found significantly higher rates of autoimmune disease post-SARS-CoV-2 infection. Some of these autoimmune diseases, the list is in my sub-staff, um, include rheumatoid arthritis, um, systemic sclerosis, um, systemic lupus erythematosus, um, SLE, Sjogren's syndrome, Bichette's disease, vasculitis, psoriasis, inflammatory bowel disease, celiac disease, and type 1 diabetes. This is the type of diabetes where the beta islet cells in your pancreas stop producing insulin and you're insulin dependent for the rest of your life. No, No diet or exercise will reverse that. Given all of that data, and understanding that there is a mass body of literature starting to develop showing that SARS-CoV-2 impacts your immune system. Um, I am inclined as a scientist to think that this has something to do with us going into now our second season of significant um, respiratory virus infections. Now, this is why I think it's time to retire this idea of immunity debt. First of all, it's not supported by data from countries that didn't lock down, Um, it's not supported by known immunology, and there is a much more um, robust hypothesis in that dysfunctional immune systems do not fight viruses well and SARS-CoV-2 can cause this. So what to do about this? Please try to minimize infection and exposure to these pathogens. Masking works really well as far as I'm concerned, and a lot of people will try to counter that or get very angry. Um, I have a whole write-up on it, again, in a, in a Substack post, and I'm pretty darn confident. I get to have COVID, and I've been flying and going about my normal activities uh, just fine. So this is um, you know, something that worries me a little bit about how we're approaching this um, white lung syndrome because no one's talking about the elephant in the room yet again, and that is SARS-CoV-2. We know that children who get SARS-CoV-2, severe SARS-CoV-2, so much so that they end up having chest x-rays, will often have nodules and accumulation of kind of white matter and fluid in the lungs. It doesn't look so good in their lungs. Um, There are plenty of case studies online. You can go ahead and look at that radiology if you're really interested. Now we're seeing a lot of kids show up with severe respiratory virus symptoms they're going to the hospital they're given a chest x-ray that's kind of standard procedure and people are seeing whitish material in their lungs my question is is this because they had prior SARS-CoV-2 infection that caused damage to their lungs that was pre-existing and or now that they have damaged lung tissue because of SARS-CoV-2 infection and perhaps they are a little bit immunocompromised, they're having worse respiratory virus infection that is making that white lung kind of syndrome show up. Uh, These are are all possibilities, and I'm sure there are a few more out there I didn't think of. But as far as we know, circling back to the white lung syndrome, this is being caused by known pathogens. The lung damage, though, that we are seeing is new, and the only thing I can think of that caused that was SARS-CoV-2. All right, you guys, thank you for joining me on this first mini episode. It didn't feel so mini, but I felt like there's a lot of teaching to do and a lot of interesting things to get through to help you understand where I was coming from with my hypotheses here, and I will see you next time.